electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, Amazon CEO Andy Jassy at HQ in Seattle. I think that if you want to provide the best possible customer experience, you have to find ways to get it to them quickly. It's why we've invested so much in our fulfillment network. And Palantir CEO Alex Karp. Joe, this guy never holds back. Russia, China, America's edge, and AI with the entrepreneur. There are two moments. The war in Ukraine and large language models have fundamentally changed the world. And you cannot put this back in the box. But then there's the question is, how can you trust either? Big interviews across the country and big thinking on set. What are we going to have to do if AI just controls every aspect of our life? Not control. Aid. I've been watching it. Hold on. What's the show, guys? It is Thursday, April 13th, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Melissa Lee along with Joe Kernan. Andrew Ross Sorkin is reporting live from Seattle this morning. Good morning, Andrew. What do you have coming up? Hey there, Melissa. We've got a big show uh, coming up uh, right here in Seattle. I'm at Amazon's headquarters in Seattle. And we're going to be speaking a little bit later this morning to CEO of Amazon, Andy Jassy, in a rare and exclusive interview. Really get a state of the state of what's going on with Amazon. Um, and also just to think about the broader economy as uh, they are, of course, one of the great indicators that touches just about everything from the consumer, of course, uh, through Amazon that we all use to AWS uh, and um, the world of uh, business to business. And separately, we've got uh, interviews from the Leadership Summit in Kiowa. So this Squawk Box show, we, we were in Kiowa. Well, I was in Kiowa yesterday. Becky was in Tokyo. I don't know what time zone anybody's on anymore. And then Joe, this guy never holds back. Palantir CEO Alex Karp will be with us on the broadcast. And I think you're going to be fascinated by some of his comments about uh, what's going on in the world of AI and, of course, uh, national security, yeah. China, and so many yeah. other issues. You know, we're not going to need national security anymore. Uh, you know, the, the whole defense spending thing is just so last century. Maybe it's still important. Are we getting that feel? Maybe it's just Russia, China, Middle East. Um, I think you are have been correct in saying that he's been a I mean, it's an interesting company from a uh, just from a profit perspective, but just from some of the the things that they do to help the United States in what is going to be an ongoing global um, position. It's just never going to ease up, I don't think. We, we keep thinking that we're beyond things like war and, and conflict, and then the next thing you know, yep. we're right in the middle of, of the things that we see every day. The, I think we're getting maybe a little bit numbed by it, but here we are. And, um, and thank God for guys like Carp, right? Um, it's, you know, he's, he's, he's doing important work for this country. He's doing important work for our allies uh, and increasingly doing a lot of important work for businesses across uh, this country and uh, other parts of the world. So we'll talk to Alex. Uh, you'll hear from him. And then, of course, later we will talk 
to Andy Jassy live right here in Seattle. We are at Amazon's headquarters. I mean, you basically have everything in the world covered. You got Amazon and anything Amazon doesn't do, like Palantir, basically. Uh, Amazon. <laughs> they run the world. Sort of. If, if you got, you know, you let Amazon do everything else, peacetime, and then you got, you know, the, the defense. No, there, there may be, there's some other things, but it is, uh, you know, we cover a lot of bases there. I got a lot. You know, Melissa, one of the reasons we wanted to come out here was because uh, every year um, there's an annual letter. It used to be written by Jeff Bezos for so many years, famously starting in 1997. Uh, but um, just now, Amazon CEO Andy Jassy's second shareholder letter has been released. It is crossing the tape. And we want to bring you some uh, notes from it. It really reflects on what has been a challenging year for what has been a trillion-dollar company in which 27,000 corporate jobs were eliminated as part of a series of cost-cutting efforts. These are things we're going to talk to him about. Uh, Jassy says, though, he remains optimistic about Amazon and says that the company is going to emerge from this challenging macroeconomic time. And he says it's going to be a stronger position than when we entered it. And despite efforts to tighten budgets, he says Amazon is still focused on investing in the future. He reflects on 2008 as a, as a reflection of challenging times before. He says Amazon would be a different company if we'd slowed down investment in AWS, for example, during the 2008-2009 period. Changes always around the corner. Sometimes you proactively invite it in, and sometimes it just comes a knocking. He uh, does compare some key areas, though, uh, that are important here of investments in uh, what AWS did for Amazon back in 08, including uh, Kuiper. That's the uh, low-Earth orbit satellite system and healthcare. Uh, following that big acquisition of One Medical for nearly $4 billion. Jassy's saying Amazon's also focused on further international expansion, plans to continue to invest in its grocery business and Amazon business, which is a fascinatingly big business. We're going to talk about that with him as well. And he warns, though, about the impact of the economic environment on AWS, uh, which is, of course, a business that he built personally, uh, writing the following. He writes, quote, AWS faces short-term headwinds right now as Companies are being more cautious in spending given the challenging current macroeconomic conditions. And, of course, there he then ends the letter with a topic we've all been talking about virtually every day, an entire section devoted to artificial intelligence. He writes the following. He says, I could write an entire letter on large language models and generative AI, uh, which, of course, are things like ChatGPT, as I think uh, they will be that transformative and core, he says, to setting Amazon up to invent in every area of our business for decades to come. So we're going to talk about all of that and so much more. Lots to uh, kick around uh, in that letter and discuss. Uh, he does uh, really, I mean, it's, it's a remarkably optimi optimistic note uh, for a time which has uh, been, at least so far, pretty challenging for just about every business across the country. Based on the highlights, Andrew, that you just presented, I mean, what stood out to me was you know, bringing up the investment that Amazon made in AWS in the downturn. And so the question would be, right. is there another business that they're going to invest as heavily in that he sees as sort of a growth catalyst going forward that they're investing in right now during this time? Well, I, I don't think we're going to, well, we'll see. Maybe there'll be a surprise uh, investment. I think what you're, what you're going to hear a lot about is the AI piece of this. Um, you know, we, we talk about AI virtually every day. Amazon has been involved in AI, machine learning, and creating large language models uh, for a very, very long time. Of course, 
when you start to think about, uh, well, I was going to say Alexa, we all, you know, people use Siri on their phone. They, they were first there. So we're going to see how some of this plays out. But a lot of this is not just for the, on the consumer end. It's really the back end. It's coding and the like. And we'll talk about that as well. And that's sort of the AWS side of all of this. But, you know, as I was looking through the letter, their investment in grocery, for example, you know, we talk about Whole Foods. But to think about sort of what that looks like from an Amazon perspective, Amazon Fresh and the like, there are some big, play, big, big plays going on, including internationally. We also think a lot about the United States. But if you really start to think about how Amazon uh, has expanded over the past couple of years, it's I mean, been uh, abroad. We're going to get to where we, we say, order me what I need this month, Alexa. I mean, it's going to... I hope they work on the, the uh, entertainment side of things, because so, we're going to have a lot of free time um, if we never have to manage. And they're working on the entertainment side of things. They have, they've, got, they've got football now. What do you want? They've got to do that. Right. But really, I mean, what are we going to have to do if AI just controls every aspect of our life? We can watch Amazon. Not control. Aid. I've been watching. Uh, hold on. What's the show, guys? Do you guys know this? What, uh, and the six. Um, Daisy Jones and the Six. Oh. I, have you guys been watching this? I heard about this it. This is like one of the. It's. You've heard about it. Get on it. It's. You know, Joe. You're always asking me for new shows. I know. I, I, so Amazon Prime. Daisy Jones and the Six. Watch it. I'm. I'm I, telling you, it's a winner. I haven't. Uh, I haven't done Succession. The new, but everywhere I look, they're they're blowing the, the all the stuff. You know, I I saw something. I go, what are they writing about him for? And it's like. Great. Thank you yes, for that. Yes, I know. The third Thank episode, you for the that. The third episode of I couldn't avoid is pretty great. I couldn't but avoid it, though. I couldn't escape. It's too late. Everybody knows. Don't tell the audience. I, 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 don't do not, that. You just I didn't know it. it. It got ruined for me. It got ruined for me. So you want to ruin it for everybody else? No, but my son said, don't look. My son said, don't look at anything. And I go, okay, I won't. But if you just hit trending on Twitter, it's so good. Don't do that. It's I'm so not doing good. anything. I'm just telling you that don't look at Twitter then. Anyway. Um. <laughs> Tease will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, Alex Karp, CEO of data analytics firm Palantir, on AI and tech's biggest threats in war and on TikTok. We have one country that allows a con- a, another country that's adversarial to put essentially a technology in place whose sole purpose is to make us slower and worse. And we're not allowed to do the same on the other side. The geopolitics of it all. If you, from the inside, make us dumber and slower, is that a threat to national security? Yeah, it is. We'll be right back. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. 
Andrew Ross Sorkin stopped in South Carolina on his way to Seattle, and he sat down with Palantir CEO Alex Karp at the Leadership Summit in Kiowa. Palantir is all about data analytics and machine learning, and the company has famously, or infamously, worked with state actors, including U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, the U.S. Department of Defense, and Ukraine in its war effort. Alex Karp just announced Palantir's newest product, an offering that will combine the machine learning technology it uses for military operations around the world, and the large language models, or LLMs, that are used by AI tech like ChatGPT. Andrew asked him all about it. Isn't the, the promise of large language models like ChatGPT, doesn't that undermine anybody who's in your business or others to some degree because they're, they'll be able to do analysis on information in ways that they didn't before. It's going to really crush a lot of businesses because for two reasons. One, it pen tests the underlying architecture. Because if you run an algorithm or an LLM on an architecture that actually doesn't work or is crumbly or crispy or somehow is only built for one use case, which is a lot of architecture, it won't work. It will also crush architectures It'll because there'll be an inability on the LLM side or on the large language model algorithm to like, well, how do I create a barrier between them and trust and my trusted network and the classified and non-classified? Also, how do I have a barrier between the algorithm or large language model and decisions that are ethical, are ethical involve ethics or norms or I have to trust right. this before I shut down this plant or I can't have everyone in every single office uh, or every single hospital bed be of one demographic. Um, and our business is built to do that. So it, it, the, the, the other thing about large language models and quite frankly uh, algorithms is it's just really good for America because first of all- It's good it's, for America because? Because it, it's, while we struggle with like imposing trust on it and of course my company is in the business of that and we have I think enormous advantages. Um, if you try to do this in China or Russia, there are just too many things you're not allowed to research. It, it, it's going the rules are going to be too stringent. They're not going to actually be able to build this. They're very far behind. Uh, the culture for building it is not exactly there. And then it's good for America because we have great allies in Europe, and uh, we're we're just much quicker at adopting technologies. We all talk about open AI, but obviously Google is trying to do this. Others are trying to do this. Are, is this kind of technology ultimately become a commodity, or is there something um, very specialized something, about it? Uh, that. Well, the large language model is, is it a lot comes down to powering the consumption. So they're going to be very, very large language models. I think they are going to end up being somewhat specialized. But the real value, the part is going to be the intersection between your business logic, your business norms or your laws and ethics, and large language models. And the people who get all those three are going to make money. Should we be scared? about the power of AI, the power of these models, because right now they're being used to you know, write poetry. Yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're, when they actually can actually um, create a transaction or do something on the battlefield, what happens? They already are. So they are very dangerous. But the reason we have to continue down the path is A, we have adversaries that are seem to be bereft of any kind of ability to control their behavior, right. and B, the American economy is still the most important in the world. And what do we know about the American economy? It's, it's the most adaptive. Are we at a transformative moment? I mean, when you hear Sam Altman talk about the future of this, there are some who say this is like, you know, the, you know, the browser 
you know, back in the day, that this is one of those moments where we're going to look back in time and say, this is it. This is this transformed. I think there are two moments, honestly, is somewhat ill-modest of me. The war in Ukraine and large language models have fundamentally changed the world. And you cannot put this back in the box. But then there's the question is, how can you trust either? So you don't want the AI in the hands of Russia and China that we have. You don't want the LLMs. What is the trust variable? And I, I, first of all, society cares about that. It happens to make trust work. You need an ontology, you need branching, all these technical terms. It exists, but the simple layman's terms is, is if the LLM tells me to do, gives me information on cancer research or how I should distribute hospital beds, is that what I actually do? And that requires a control function between the business, the business logic, you, right. ethics. What do you make of Elon Musk and some others who say there should be a six-month pause or there should be a pause at all if, in if, terms of the advancement of this type of technology? If, if we didn't have the adversaries we'd have, I would be very in favor of pausing this technology completely, but we do. And that, that's that's why pausing is just, it, it, you can't pause it because it's a structural advantage both for the LLMs and algorithms. So leaving, you know, L, what the, the, the getting this, getting algorithms and LLMs to work in a classified context is going to take very specialized, very, I could explain right. how it works, but getting, the fact is, this is going to be a bonanza for the U.S. economy. How concerned are you about China right now? Everyone's very concerned. I, I think we were in a conversation this morning where I referenced, you know, when we started first talking about China and America, and uh, I was saying that this was not going to end well. That was a controversial statement. Now it's consensus. Um, America is fairly unified that in its idea that, you know, it, it, that China and people running China are not acting in a way we can accept. And I think the consensus, if I had to guess, in China is. Uh, we're never going to get this back on the rails with America, so we should up the aggression. When you think about, for example, the debate over TikTok, is that a real debate? No, because have... they shouldn't be. They, the idea that we allow uh, uh, a product that is really main purpose is to degrade American intelligence uh, while not allowing American products to work in China is just factually absurd. And you know, it's really interesting. I mean, I'm very pro-American democracy, but we have to get better at simple decisions. This is actually a simple decision. We have one country that allows a con a, another country that's adversarial to put essentially a technology in place whose sole purpose is to make us slower and worse. And we're not allowed to do the same on the other side. But obviously, this should be either we both get to do it or neither side gets to do but it. But do you think that is that is that a national security concern? I, there are lots of national security concerns. I'm saying there's a common sense element here. One country allows X, the other country doesn't. Let's just start with a very common sense. We both get to do it or neither side gets to do it. Let's talk about your business. Um, there has been some pressure on the stock, as you know. Uh, you're coming off your first quarter where you achieved profitability uh, on a gap basis. You said you expect to generate a profit uh, for the fiscal current fiscal quarter or for, for current fiscal year. Um, why do you think the stock has not moved more? Well, on um, look, there's a lot of their macro factors that, but and honestly, if you look, I think one of the few stocks where our market cap is higher than when we DPO'd. <laughs> I, we, 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 are not, we can't get into our current earnings or say anything that would be new, but I'm looking at a U.S. market that's doing very, very well. And it, it, over the medium and long term, I'm a very proud holder of Palantir shares. Okay, so as you know, Jim Cramer had some choice words 
for the company, called it uh, a, a company made up for memesters. Yeah. What, what did you think when you saw that? He doesn't actually look at the financials because I don't spend any time talking to him. And uh, what I really think is you take my, uh, you take my Palantir and you take whatever anyone says about it. Let's talk about it in a year. Let's talk about it in two years. I, uh, and um, I'm very happy. I actually love when people attack us because it's like, great, okay, well, we'll show you our cards over the next couple of years. What's going to happen in two years? A lot of the questions that are being asked, like how does, how does AI move from being either a danger or a trinket, are going to move to, oh, these five companies, these 10 companies in the sector implemented large language models, algorithms, and did it in a way that created trust, and they won the whole market. Alex Karp uh, never won uh, to hold back, uh, doesn't, doesn't hold back at all there, and has uh, a whole bunch of views on a, a number of fascinating topics, Joe. I, I, I would almost defer to him on certain things. I mean, I was, I was just nodding. The question about TikTok was, was so fascinating. Is it national security? Well, if you, from the inside, make us dumber and slower, is that a threat to national security? Yeah, it is, because you are making our youth dumber, even if you're not stealing stuff or, you know, the, what, what we normally think of as, you know, bellicose behavior. I mean, if you are from the inside rotting us out, that is a national security problem. And then the other thing he said. Sure, but then, but then what do you do? Is, is Facebook rotting right. uh, yeah, America right. from the inside? Yeah, social media is across Coca-Cola the board. Yeah. rotting our body? Yeah. I mean, How about terrible books? Yeah, How but terrible if you're movies? deliberately, de- if, if it happens because of human nature, it's one thing. But if you're over there thinking about how do we destroy this other country from the inside, right. and that's different. Now, the other thing, well, Andrew, the question that was, is, Right. The other thing that was fascinating was, is AI dangerous? Yes, but not as dangerous near term as our adversaries. And that's fascinating. So, and, and I agree with that. 10, 20, 30 years, you might get to the 2001, you know, you worry about our human superfluous to, to a machine. That, that's something that's way in the distance. In the meantime, we got China with Taiwan, we got Russia with Ukraine. In the meantime, you need to use AI, you need to make sure that you don't let these these adversaries get ahead. He's absolutely right with that, too. Those are, I mean, those are like... Well, and um, the, the big question... Absolutist answers. The big question answers. for the business, though. Yeah. The, the big question for the business of, of Palantir is they have these data sets, and can the data sets leveraged with, with generative and large language model AI, you know, actually set them up for even more success, or does large language models and AI make... The, that value less. And that is yep. the big question for Palantir going forward. And Nahair, I just, to me, he's even more brilliant. It makes him look exponentially more brilliant. Einstein. Yes. Next on Squawk Pod, Andrew Ross Sorkin is at Amazon headquarters. We'll bring you an extended interview with CEO Andy Jassy. In general, I think you should expect that um, generative AI has the chance to transform every customer experience that you know. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, 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 click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Stand by, Joe, in three, two, 
One is Mike Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Andrew Ross Sorkin and Melissa Lee. We are live in Seattle this morning uh, with an exclusive interview with Andy Jassy, of course, the CEO of Amazon, just out this morning with his second annual shareholder letter, now as CEO. And um, we had an opportunity to spend some time with you last year at this time. But what a year. It's been a challenging year. You talk about your optimism. But I want to talk about sort of what's happened over the last year. There's uh, some new news in this uh, about some of the corporate uh, layoffs and, and where you see this company at the same time in terms of thinking about investments in the future and what that balance looks like. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I think when, when you, I, I'm very optimistic about what lies ahead for Amazon, and I think there are a lot of reasons for it. I'd start with just a couple data points. If you, if you look at our, our two largest businesses, if you look in our stores business, which is our retail business, we still only have, even though it's a, about a $434 billion business, we still only have about 1% of the worldwide market segment share in, in retail. And 80% of it still lives in physical stores. And if you look in our AWS business, which is a, about an $85 billion revenue run rate business, about 90% of that global IT spend is still on-premises, not in the cloud. So if you believe that those equations are going to flip over time, which we do and we're seeing, we have a lot more growth in front of us. And so I look at, at where we are today, and then I think about working through one of the harder macroeconomic years in recent memory, and the fact that we were able to grow uh, uh, our top line on top of an incredible surge during the pandemic, and the fact that we were able to innovate um, across all our businesses, which will impact both the short and long term, and the fact that we have changed the way that we're going to invent and collaborate together by getting into the office more. And the fact that we were able to meaningfully streamline our costs while at the same time preserving the strategic long-term investments that we believe can meaningfully change customer experiences in Amazon right. for the long term, I think we got, we have, we have a lot to look forward to. At the same time, you do talk about macroeconomic headwinds, uh, especially in the context of AWS. How do you see that playing itself out? We keep talking about the R word, recession. Do you see that upon us here? Well, you know, we see a couple different things right now. You know, on the consumer side, consumers are spending, but they're just much more careful about what they're spending on. And we see a lot of trading down in price you points. You see a lot of trading down. We do. You know, uh, if you have a variation of a product and um, you might have seen more people shopping at the higher end, you see people trying to save money wherever they can. And people are very deal conscious. It's why we spent so much time with our selling partners trying to find great deals and, and, and bargains for people. And so you see that on the consumer side. On the enterprise side, most companies are trying to find ways in an uncertain economy to save money however they can. And, uh, and that impacts in our enterprise business, it impacts things like advertising as you see around you know, you know, the industry, but also in people's technology infrastructure spend. And so, you know, in the case of AWS, um, we're spending a lot of our time trying to help customers save money at this point. And one of the great things about the cloud and AWS is that when you, when you have much more demand, you can seamlessly scale up. And if you don't have that demand, you can give it back to us and stop paying for it. That elasticity is very unique in the cloud. You don't get that on premises. And so because we're trying to build a set of customer relationships in a business that outlasts all of us and are not optimized for any one quarter or year, we're spending most of our time trying to help our right. customers save money. And, um, and what most of them tell us is they say, look, we're not really cost cutting, we're cost optimizing. And we want to reallocate our priorities and our resources on things that can change our customer experience. On the forward. AWS side, though, how portable 
do you think the businesses are? Meaning, you can have a great relationship with a company, and they can love you for the fact that you've, they've been able to scale down. But in a cloud world, they can also, I imagine, move to a rival service quite quickly. I think what most companies find, I mean, look, one of the things about the cloud that's different from other types of businesses is that there isn't the type of heavy lock-in that you see with some of the software companies right. which make it impossible to go. A lot of the APIs look the same. But most companies don't want to take the opportunity cost of having to switch their entire platform and everything they've built because, remember, people are putting data in a particular provider. Provider, They're doing analytics on that data. They're doing machine learning right. on that data. They're running compute. Their databases live there. You can change it. It's just a meaningful amount of work. And if you do a great job for them operationally uh, from a security perspective and you keep innovating at the incredibly rapid clip that AWS has, people tend to want to build and, and keep growing on top of you. And I want to talk about AI because that's a huge component. You talk about that in your letter as well. But I, I just you, you talked about uh, layoffs and just right-sizing the business. 27,000 jobs um, uh, have been eliminated. Oppenheimer came out last week, I don't know if you saw, and said, that you need to cut more. Do you th is, this, is this the end? I, look, uh, I've said it a couple times that having to reduce 27,000 roles was the hardest thing I've had to do in my career and uh, professionally and um, very difficult to do. And it's, you know, there, there's no equation on what the right amount of um, streamlining is. Um, otherwise, everyone would, it would be much easier right. for people to think it through. But, I think it's a pretty significant streamlining of costs. We've, you know, we went through a process in every one of our businesses where we looked at where we had our resources allocated and which things we really had conviction were going to have good returns um, for customers and for the business. And we made some reprioritization decisions which led to those reductions. But I think it's a pretty good balance. And um, uh, you know, we don't have an intention of doing anything more meaningful. But any responsible leadership team will keep looking at right. their business and the economy and, and proceed adaptively. So at, so at one point in the letter, you talk about 2008 and investing in AWS through 2008. Yeah. In this letter, you talk about continuing to invest in the grocery business, the international business, the healthcare business. What does that look like to you? Well, you know, I, I, I think... Hyper, which is a moonshot. I think the... the um, and when we think about what to invest in, we, we look at two different um, constructs. The first is, you know, we know that we exist to make customers' lives better and easier every day and relentlessly invent to do so. And then we look at, if we're gonna invest in some experience where we think we can make customers' lives better, we ask ourselves a few questions. We say, number one, if we were successful, could it be big and move the needle at Amazon with, with the right ROICs? Number two, is being well served today Number three, do we have a differentiated approach to it? And number four, do we have some competence in that area? And if not, can we acquire quickly? And when we like the answers to those, we invest. So sometimes those, you know, that construct leads to uh, investments and extensions that seem pretty logical. International expansion, um, category expansion. There's some retail product categories that are very large where we've been nascent, like grocery or, or business to business that we've invested in. Other times that investment strategy leads to things that are maybe, maybe right. not as obvious to people. AWS was a good example of that. Um, I think that um, fewer people might have guessed that we would build a low Earth orbit satellite that we call Kuiper. But I, if you look at the need, there are hundreds of millions of households who have, and businesses that have no connectivity to the internet. So that, I think we can solve a big 
Uh, Has that investment really? construct, though, changed in the past 12 months? Because clearly there were investments in products and divisions and businesses that you were pursuing that you decided not to anymore. I, it, the construct didn't change. I think that our, our conviction on the things that we were investing in that could be successful evolves. You know, and I, I, there's this um, uh, song lyric I've told you about before from the Foo Fighters that I really like. It's a song called Congregation, which is, you need blind faith but no false hope. And so when you're inventing and you're working on something new, you have to have that belief because most people haven't been there before, but you have to constantly be checking in to make sure that you still believe it's going to be successful. So the construct doesn't change, right. but there's, you know, as you're checking in and making sure you have no false hope, if you don't have conviction any longer that it's going to be a great customer experience and that you can get the right return, then you have to adjust. Right. You made a big acquisition in the healthcare space this year. When you think about acquisitions right now, how do you feel about, about buying things? I, I noticed in the, in the grocery part of your letter, to me, there was a suggestion, how are you going to grow that business meaningfully? You, see, you seem to think that that's a, a, a big growth area. And I thought to myself, would you buy another supermarket company? Well, I think, you know, every decision on whether you're going to acquire or not has to do with, you know, what your strategy is and what you think. We, we have a, a history where we are confident and have had success building and inventing ourselves. But when there's a customer experience that we think is very meaningful, where we either believe we don't have the people or the capability or the time right. to build, and we find somebody who's done a really great job of it, then we'll consider acquiring. That's kind of what we did with One Medical in the healthcare space, where you know, we had launched a pharmacy a few years earlier, which people had really wanted us to have an online pharmacy, and it's grown really quickly. And customers said, well, we'd like you to help solve a broader piece of a healthcare experience that's very unsatisfying. And um, primary care is really at the center of that. And uh, we, we came across one medical, which, I mean, if you think about how we go see the doctor today and you're going to tell your grandkids that, they're not going to believe that what you did was you made an appointment three or four weeks in advance and drove 20 minutes to the doctor and waited in the waiting room for 20 minutes. And then, you know, they call you, go in the exam room for 20 minutes, doctor will see you for five minutes, and you go to the pharmacy. That is not going to exist in the future. And so if you look at something like one medical, the experience they've built, it's an amazing digital app. You can chat with, with medical practitioners. You can do video conferencing. If you need to see somebody in person, you can do it same day. Um, and if you need something from the pharmacy, it's connected to Amazon Pharmacy and others. It comes quick. So it's a very different experience that they've built. Uh, the word quick is used a lot uh, at Amazon, ultra-fast service. What's the balance, you think, especially in an economy right now like this, between trying to get stuff to people within hours and the cost of that versus getting it to them in a day or two or three? Yeah, I think you don't have a choice if you want to provide a great customer experience. I think you have to do both well. And, you know, I think it's been true forever. Customers have always loved broad selection. They've always loved low prices, and they love getting their products quickly. And so uh, I think that if you want to provide the best possible customer experience, you have to find ways to get it to them quickly. It's why we've invested so much in our fulfillment network. And we're really excited about how, much, how, many, more, how many more shipments are right. coming one day and, and, and same day. And at the same time, while you're providing that, you can't do it in a cost structure that isn't economic. And we've worked really hard over the last number of months to, um, uh, to get the right. cost to serve in our fulfillment centers and our operations um, area um, lower. And we're really pleased with the progress we're making. And at the same time, while we're getting the cost to serve lower, I think we're changing the speed in a very meaningful way.
When we talk about AI, you say at the end of your letter you could write an entire letter about AI. We talk about ChatGPT and everything. Waiting for it. Um, we're all, we're, we're all, we don't even have to wait anymore. I mean, that's the amazing part about it. Yeah. Um, you folks have made an announcement this morning, actually, about uh, some new efforts on, on, on the AI front at AWS in terms of both the software side and the chip side of this business. But where do you see this is all, all going? And when you think about, for example, ChatGPT or what Google is doing, sort of how do you compare yourself to, to that since that seems to be what we talk a lot about these days? Yeah. Well, just some context. I mean, machine learning, uh, we've been using machine learning in a really meaningful way across Amazon for over 20 years, and it's in everything we do. You know, the personalized e-commerce recommendations, the, our, you know, the way we do pick paths and fulfillment centers and Alexa. I mean, virtually everything we do. And then we, in AWS, we have over 25 machine learning services. We have the, you know, the broadest set of functionality and set of customers in machine learning. So it's a big part of our heritage. But the last six to nine months, you've seen this really exciting development in large language models and generative AI, which, which fuel things like ChatGPT. And so the announcement you're talking about today is in our AWS business, where if you think about what AWS has been doing for many years, we've been really trying to democratize technology so that large and small companies alike can afford and have access to build amazing customer experiences. So if you think about running these large language models, there's three pieces to it. The first is, they all need compute. You're gonna train models and then the, the models right. um, spit out inferences or predictions. And so that compute, the key pieces are the chips inside of it. And so we've been working on specialized chips um, for, for training called Trainium and for inference called Inferentia that have the combination of price and performance in a, in a really advantageous way relative to what you can do otherwise. Then most companies wanna use these large language models, but the really good ones take billions of dollars to train and many years, and most right. companies don't want to go through that. And so what they want to do is they want to work off of a foundational model that's big and great already, and then have the ability to customize it for their own purposes. And that's what Bedrock is, which right. we announced today, which is it'll give you access to um, large language models from Anthropic, from Stability AI, from AI21, and from ourselves. We're externalizing some of our own models we call Titan. And then it lets I mean, these you, are not consumer models. These are models to build software. Yeah, they're big, large language models that you can build um, uh, these generative AI experiences on top of, and you just have to fine-tune them for what's specific about your application. So that's bedrock, which I think will change the game for people. And then, um, you know, there are going to be these applications built on top of these large language models. ChatGPT is right. an example of that. What we announced today is something called Code Whisperer, which is for developers. And so if you're writing code, instead of having to write everything and do all the art and the science yourself, you can, in a natural language way, just say what you want to do, and Code Whisperer will generate the code for you. And that will substantially change developers' productivity. So when you saw what, though, ChatGPT did um, and the relationship it has with Microsoft, and you see what Bard's doing, do you, do you, where should Amazon be in that conversation? Well, I think... Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we, we have been using machine learning in a very right. deep way in every one of our businesses. We have our own large language models that we've been working on for uh, multiple years um, that fuel a lot of our experiences. And I think you should expect, in general, I think you should expect that um, generative AI has the chance to transform every customer experience that you know. We are using it and investing in it very deeply across all of our businesses in Amazon. And then for AWS, we're going to make sure that every other company can use it as well. 
Uh, I want to talk about the advertising business, which has been a, a big growth uh, space for you, but at the same time, I think is maybe indicative of what's happening in the economy right now. What are you seeing? Well, you know, we have a, a if you look at our advertising business, it's continued to grow at a, at a pretty rapid clip, even when most advertising-focused businesses have, I think, slowed over the last several quarters. And a lot of that is just our advertising is uniquely um, effective um, as we're able to. If you think about on Amazon, when you're an advertiser, we have the ability with the machine learning algorithms that we've built, and we continue to spend most of our resource right. on that, because we understand shopping behaviors, we're able to, when customers search for something, we're able to place advertisements there that are relevant to what their search are. So customers respond better to them, which means they're more effective, which means advertisers like advertising there. So it's, um, you know, most of our resource continues to be in making those machine learning algorithms more targeted and, and, and more relevant for customers. I think we've done a pretty good job. We have more we can do. I think you should also remember in our advertising business, that most of it is in uh, our owned and operated properties, we still have a lot of opportunity to thoughtfully integrate advertising into our video, into our live sports, into our um, audio products, into groceries. So it's still pretty early days for us with respect to what's possible in advertising. You mentioned live sports. Uh, you have football now. Yeah. Where does this all go? Meaning... What, 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 should, we, should we imagine that you're going to be buying into lots of other sports? That, that, what does Prime look like in the future? Yeah. Well, I think as it relates to the, um, the video piece of it, we're trying to build the, the, the best destination and the best collection of streaming video content anywhere. And a lot of that will be our own content. And um, you mentioned Thursday Night Football, which we're, we're really excited about. And, um, I think that was it was a really good first year, and we're really appreciative of the partnership with the, we have with the NFL there. Um, some of it has to do with our own content. Lord of the Rings was was a big release for last year. I'm very excited about Citadel that's coming up. Um, we were talking about Daisy Jones and the Six. Daisy too. Jones and the Six. Yeah. I I just watched it. I mean, I, but, I, you know, so it's a lot of that content. I don't want to uh, scoop you on the end, though. Yeah, don't. You haven't seen it. I'm, you haven't seen I'm, the last. I'm, I'm right in the midst. You're right? in the midst. Okay. My wife wants to tell me. My college roommate wants to tell me. You want to tell me. Hold on. I mean, let me just watch the end of it. Um, but, you know, some of that content, too, is third-party content. We have a number of third-party media partners, um, you know, Discovery Plus and HBO Max and Paramount Plus and Stars and Showtime, that where their content is available, too, to Prime customers. So we're trying to build the best collection of streaming content um, for people to see. And live sports turns out to be something that people really like. Um, you know, it, it draws a lot of people. Our, you know, our... Our Thursday night football had the largest number of, of new prime customers signing up for it. And you know, live sports has been successful for us in Europe, too, with, um, with uh, uh, EPL and UEFA. So I think you can expect that we'll do more sports. You bought MGM. Do you think you could see more consolidation? I mean, we're, we all debate consolidation in the media space, whether it be Warner Brothers Discovery or uh, what happens to Paramount Plus or, 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 or others. Yeah, could be. I mean, I, you know, we... We acquired MGM. It's, it, we're, we're so excited about it. They have such incredible IP, and we've just started finding ways to, to bring it to customers. And um, I think it's a, you know, there's a number of hard parts to that business. I think everybody's trying to figure out that business model. We have a little bit different business model because Prime is bundled, but um, yeah, we'll see. How much do you focus on the stock price these days? I don't spend a lot of my time focused on the stock price. It's kind of at Amazon... You remember, I, I've been at Amazon almost 26 years now, so I, I kind of grew up here. And uh, we have always had this perspective that 
it, you can't be too for first of all we tend to be long-term focused you right. know, you know we, we um uh it, there's that adage that in the short term the stock market is a voting machine in the long term it's a weighing machine and we've really seen that over 26 years in any one period of time it may be you know, further up or further down, but it really matters what you do for customers over a long period of time. But you've changed the comp structure, right, around stock. That was an issue earlier this year. By the way, there was an announcement this morning. You're not, they, they, you're, you're not taking more comp this year in stock, the company said. Nope, that's right. And what was that a result of? I think, uh, you know, when I became CEO, I was given a grant, and right. that was intended to be my compensation for the foreseeable future. And we don't, we don't give you know, our, our most senior people, um, new grants every year. So, um, that's, you talk to Jeff a lot. I do. I, I, I talk to him regularly. What do you guys talk about? What, what is, what does he think is happening? Uh, we, you know, we, we talk about different things happening in the business. We talk a lot about, um, uh, uh, large language models and generative AI. We're both really excited and passionate about it. And, you know, we're investing in it very significantly across Amazon. Um, we talk about all sorts of things. It's, it's very nice to be able to have a sounding board, and, and you know, Jeff's so talented. We've been closed for a long time. It's, it's nice. There was a report that he's, at, he's not buying the Commanders anymore. I don't know. You don't know? I'm a Giants fan. Andy Jassy, thank you for joining us this morning. Thanks for having appreciate me. I appreciate it. it. Very, very much. Thanks. That is Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. On our rundown tomorrow... It's too late, everybody knows. Don't tell the audience. I, I, I don't do not, that. You just I didn't know it. Just... It, shh. Chicago Federal Reserve President and longtime friend of Squawk Box, Austin Goolsby joins us. This will be his first visit to the show in his new role. And if you are interested in hearing Becky Quick's full interview with Warren Buffett while the Berkshire CEO was traveling in Japan, please check out this podcast feed. We have released the complete conversation in a series of pods, and they are all there now. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Thanks to Melissa Lee for sitting in today. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the best of our show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod. We'll meet you right back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 